Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, aka Project Pat. And you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's La Marvelous. What do you All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Tuesday. Let me pull up my my calendar here actually this is great preparation on my part because uh as we have hinted at before we are recording these things a week ahead of time it is tuesday march 16th day before saint patrick's day how about that saint patrick's day spenny how about that oh hey laddie get a couple green beers in us oh yeah well actually green beers that would be an american thing like a, yeah. a bro a finance bro from chicago going out to uh <laughs> look at the green river and drink the green river water are they doing that this year i don't think so I know they skipped out on that last I year. I, for, I feel like I saw news about it. I feel like I saw something, so I think they are doing it. That's my best guess. Yeah, I could. I, they're probably going to try to do something because I remember last year, like it before everything even shut down, they canceled the St. Patrick's Day parade there because, like you know, we're, we're looking back. This was, in fact, uh, I, or I guess the we were week we're recording this is, in fact, the one year anniversary of the world ending. Yeah, the last thing I did for a cool three months was go out in Philly with some friends for St. Patrick's day. And yeah, that was the, the last, the last of us, the last walking men, uh, before everything shut down. So happy one year COVID a big old middle finger to you, but with vaccinations rolling out in force, hopefully we'll be good to go relatively soon. Maryland rolling back a bunch of their restrictions and people have thoughts on that and different things, maybe a bit early, but urge everyone to stay healthy, stay safe, and hopefully this thing's over soon once everyone's vaccinated. Vaccination. No infecting. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, uh, I'm actually going to, because my friend's birthday falls on, she might actually be listening to this. She listens sometimes, but her, her birthday falls on like St. Patrick's Day weekend every time. So we go down to the beach and <laughs> me and my buddy decided this was even before like all the shit came down. Me and my buddy decided we weren't going to do it because we we're like, yeah, it's probably probably not worth it. You know, maybe, we'll right. just, you know, two weeks it'll blow over. But for now, let's not do it. But uh, we're actually going to be making it happen this year, thankfully. So going to get down to the beach. So that's why we're recording this on a Wednesday night. Get down there. Hopefully have some, uh, you know, relatively responsible fun. We're going to see what happens. I'm not going to go too, too crazy. You're going to wear a mask and, you know, all the precautions and everything. But get down the ocean, play a little golf, drink a couple St. Patty's Day beers. It's going to be a good time. 
Hell to the yeah. So what are we in here for? We're getting into the Baltimore big board, beat down big board. Pardon me, the beat down big board. Episode two, volume two, round two. We are going to be breaking down the the guys with the nice butts, the tight ends, uh, the booty boys. And the Ravens are in the market, certainly, 4-1. It would be a luxury addition, it feels like, more than a necessity, but some big news coming out in various forms. Gus Edwards, uh, we'll get into that in the other episode more, but uh, Mark Andrews, the Ravens want to extend, obviously, and with Orlando Brown not wanting to be extended, that felt like, I think we discussed on here that that felt like you kind of might be picking between those two guys, and Orlando Brown picked himself out of that one. He walked on out, and now Mark Andrews is going to be the guy. Uh, he has quite a value, uh, valuation from over the cap, somewhere around, I think, 11 or $12 million a year is what they have, uh, which would pay him around the third most money in the league. And makes sense all around. Mark Andrews has been great. He's been, you know, top five, hashtag top five, tight end. He's had a what couple. Is, what is that, by the way? He, I actually read about it. I can't remember if it was The Athletic or ESPN or something. It was just an interview on him. And apparently he's just been saying that since he was like five years old, like four years old. That I remember he did explain it at one point, but I just didn't read it for whatever reason. He'd be like, oh, I'm like, he would play chess twice and be like, oh, I'm top five in the world. I'm a top five chess player. Or, oh, he started playing soccer. He's like, I'm a top five striker. Like I'm a top five striker in the world. And he's apparently been saying that for a really long time. It's kind of like a satirical ignorance. I kind of like that. Yes, yes, it is. We're top, so. we're top five podcasters. Yes, we are. We are hashtag top five podcasters. And Mark Andrews, ironically, is just about a top five tight end, uh, however you want to cook it. It looks like, you know, you can make arguments for him, Waller, and there's one other that I'm not thinking of. Nick Boyle. Nicholas Boyle. Thickless Boyle. No, Kelsey and uh, Kittle. Kelsey Kittle, those guys I would, you know, put clear top shelf. And uh, they're a little tiny bit older than him, especially Kelsey into his 30s now, but still playing at a high level. And then Waller's balling out in his own thing, more of a actual wide receiver in ways, but he's been an effective blocker. And then Mark Andrews is comfortably, you know, top three, top four guy, and Nick Boyle coming back off of injury. But the Ravens definitely do miss those speedier 12 personnel Hayden Hurst days where, uh, and everyone thinks it was like 13 where it was Boyle and Hurst and Andrews, and those did happen. I don't think they – I think the Ravens ran those like 6% of their total snaps. It was like the games where they would play the Bengals and like they would just go mega heavy and just like absolutely Quarterback thrash power. it down their throat. Yeah, yeah, just absolutely destroy. But I think more so it was having Hurst and Andrews who both pr- brought a dynamic speed element. And while Andrews at that point, not a good blocker, Hayden Hurst, you know, not a great blocker at all. He's an okay blocker, but being able to condense those guys in, move them around in motion and do things from tighter, heavier looking formations as opposed to maybe go five wide and empty and uh, spread out, get linebackers on the field and then burn those guys down the field. That was a really nice advantage to have. And I think overall, as we get into these tight ends, it's, you know, there's certainly some free agents. We're going to get into that in our free agency preview, which I believe comes out first. Yes. Yeah. The free agency so that's going to be coming out on... When you're listening to this, that'll have already released this past Thursday. There we go. So we'll get into the free agent tight ends. Uh, there's options there. The Ravens did bring back Eric Tomlinson on a one-year deal. I think that was just a your guy, my boy, my boy, the uh, the son of all the Toms, uh, doing his <laughs> doing his damn lens. But son of the Tomlins, son of the Tomlins, Mike Tomlin's son. That's yeah. my Mike Tomlin for anyone. He always like finds the camera and like points at it and thumps the shades chest. on, oh, pinky yeah. ring. 
Uh, yeah, but shout out to Eric Tomlinson, Mike Tomlinson, Mike Tomlinson's son. He can be cut. I like him. He can block. He's a nice player to have, you know, quadruple A player, practice squad up and whatever. But I think having nice insurance for Mark Andrews, just the same way that having Orlando Brown was really nice when you pay Ronnie Stanley and Ronnie Stanley goes down. Having insurance for your high-paid players is always nice so that your system doesn't kind of crumble if a guy gets hurt. So I would like the Ravens to add a tight end that's in that middle ground, you know, a little a little bit of blocking, a little bit of vertical threat, more of a vertical threat than Nick Boyle, maybe a little more brute than Mark Andrews, and have a happy medium there, and especially because Nick Boyle will be coming back from injury, and he might be a little rusty. Uh, Thickless probably will return right to form because that's the kind of sick fuck that he is, an incredible blocker, and dude, I... I, uh, I got a big run in on Monday, um, four miles, not to brag. Uh, pace was fucking awful, so I shouldn't be bragging, but my knee is still feeling it from them. I have like this bone-on-bone knee that I got surgery on like seven years ago at this point. So I'm not saying that Nick Boyle is not going to. I think he's going to. It's just like kind of pointing out that these guys are absolute freaks. Right, right. And he That's had, my non sequitur about has that. Has he only been suspended? He hasn't been injured before. Yeah, just I, think ju- I think just the suspension. What did he get? A six game and a 10 game? Did he have a 10 game? He had like a 10 game, like when he was really young, I think. And then it was like his rookie year, he got suspended six or something. And then might have been the second year. Might have been his second year. Yeah, I'm not even really sure. But then he just played his third year and fourth year. Okay. Yeah, he's been pretty, pretty clean since, but I I don't know what was going on there. That was just a, you know, blowout injury. Him and Ronnie Stanley both ankle injuries and weird roll up explosive hit for Boyle and Stanley getting rolled up on. So freak injuries on those fronts, but. Yeah, I think adding someone else to the mix would be pivotal. Lamar Jackson loves the big boys. And having another vertical-ish guy that is big, big catch radius, I think that's a way to do it. Be tough over the middle of the field. I think Boyle was starting to round into form as a pass catcher more than we've maybe ever seen this past year and definitely made them comfortable to part with Hayden Hurst. But, I, you know, long story short, absolutely think another tight end, whether it's a, a day three pick, a day two pick, or a free agent is brought into Baltimore – I'd be surprised to see one not when it's all said and done with the smoke clears and training camp is underway. Yeah, and there's going to be even guys on the market too probably that we're going to uh, touch on or have touched on with the free agency preview. But I guess that kind of leads into my first overall talking point that I wanted to hit on here. You already touched on it and sort of set it up nicely there, you know, and the fact that we're covering a team that has two quality tight ends. So what kind of mindset do you go into covering a position like that? Whenever you have an opportunity to add talent, and the value is there. If there's someone on the board that you have highly, there's no one else that is really that close to them, especially at a position of need, then you're going to go ahead and pull the trigger. And that's how you end up with Marlon Humphrey. That's how you don't end up with Aaron Donald if you're the Detroit Lions who uh, were like, oh, we're, we're good. We've got Fairley and uh, I think Sue at that point and end up drafting Eric Ebron over Aaron Donald. And not, not that Donald was some surefire thing at all. He was, you know, a lot of people were concerned about his size, but maybe they, they, they kind of talked about, you know, that was a mistake we made as an organization, as the Lions often do make mistakes. But don't pass up on a player because of what you currently have. Don't You don't pass up on a stock if you're, you a know. Stonk. Yeah, if you're stonking it out on the old uh, hood of Robins then or, or E-Trade or whatever you're doing. Or Robin the Hood. You want to think about the Shout long term. Yeah, shout out to, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a solid album. Absolutely. I just, for some reason that reminded me I forgot to record South Park and I'm 
quite upset. That's they got that on some streaming service. Don't It'll they? be it comes out on like on demand or something. Maybe I have it on HBO Max. Maybe that's what it is. I'm I think sure. it, I think all the past ones are. Maybe they maybe they're adding them. Who knows? There's too many fucking streaming services. We need. There's going to be a streaming service that condenses like. Almost like, you, almost like rolling it into like a cable of some sort. Right, and right, just like right. it provides all the different Yes, and then it'll be owned by one. a company called Bombast and they'll just uh, absolutely they, they, destroy they, the central Maryland area with no real competition. They make the socks that the podcasters advertise, right? They make the socks, the white socks and the red socks. Bomb, yeah, shout out to Bombas Socks, sponsor the pod. Um, Bombas are sick. Yeah, I think... Um, that's a good way of putting it, just kind of that best player available type mentality. And especially, I think, in a class like this, which we're going to get into, it feels like you got one guy at the top who we're going to hit on, but there's also, like, it feels like some sneaky options that are going to be falling into uh, some, you know, spots of potential value for the Ravens to grab them at. So I guess my next point is sort of with the fact that you do have kind of the one sure thing at the top, like I mentioned, but then some other guys that, you know, it seems like they all kind of have their question marks attached to them. With all those guys and with the top guy, what kind of questions do you hope to have answered by the time the draft rolls around regarding the tight ends? Do we have one? Do Are there more available? Are there guys who are being traded? You know, were there guys who weren't signed and are going to be available through the summer? Uh, are there rumblings of, of other teams? And then what is the outlook like looking like for Nick Boyle in the, you know, with the purple shades on looking at their situation, where is he at? You're going to have a better idea into, into April and getting close to OTAs where I believe he is supposed to be back for OTAs. I might be mistaken on that. I think they've said his, his timeline leads up to OTAs, but overall, yeah, just you'll get a better feel for tape and, and rumors and all kinds of things going on. But the one point I did want to make uh, from the last little bit we were talking about was that in terms in terms of what you're looking at when you do have two tight ends like Boyle and Andrews, the long-term outlook, you're looking at a guy's career. You're not just looking at 2021 and 2022. Look at their career trajectory. Look at their three-year trajectory. Look at their five-year trajectory. Where do we see this guy being? Is he going to be a 10-year starter in this league? And why would you not take him? But uh, those are the kinds of questions you want to ask as well. Is this someone that we see being a, a real stabilizing force in the NFL? Do they have a well-rounded skill set? And do they have a trump card? Uh, and that's, you know, a guy like Hunter Long that we'll get to. That's that's someone that I see is having a trump card as, you know, a really sudden route runner with great ball skills. But he's a solid blocker. He's comfortable playing in line. You can put him in the slot. He's comfortable in motion. He's comfortable working underneath and, you know, in the red zone and all these different areas. So someone like that, they're probably going to stick around for a while. And why would you not want someone like that on your team? So it's uh, it's it's a process, but tight end is a unique position. They're tasked with being or blocking guys that are physically way more exceptional than them, unless your name is Rob Gronkowski, blocking a defensive end or an outside linebacker. You are overmatched technically and athletically in the trenches so often and in coverage, you're trying to run away from guys that are faster than you. And while you have the size advantage and tight ends are mismatches, you know, when the really good ones are faster than linebackers and, uh, you know, too big for safeties to handle. But at the end of the day, 
got to be able to block those DNs, and that's a mismatch. So it's a, it's a tough position. And Boyle is like an interesting case too. We will get into the guys, obviously, but just kind of touching on him, like that injury, I feel like is going to be kind of a big deal. It did look bad at the time. Like I mentioned that sort of major knee thing is not fun to go through just from personal experience. It looked even worse for him, but right. uh, I do have faith that he'll be back. And he did receive that extension, which is something that we didn't even really hit on. Uh, I got here from BaltimoreRavens.com end of January. Uh, Boyle's contract was set to expire after the 2021 season, and he was set to carry a $7.8 million $7.83 million cap hit this year per spot track. It was a high number amidst a dropping salary cap. So the Ravens and Boyle were able to exp- extend what has been a fantastic pairing while reportedly finding immediate salary cap relief. They have a tweet from UFC. Boyle's new deal is a two-year extension for $13 million, $6 million signing bonus. With new deal, his base salary in 21 goes from $5.5 million to $1.5 million. His 21 cap number goes from $7.83 million to $5.83 million. Base salary in 22 is 5 million, base in 23 is 6 million. So they kind of just took all of the money that was maybe clustered in one spot and just sort of spread it out. And they also lowered that cap hit. So going to be able to make other moves. And what I think is also interesting about, I guess, circling back to that first point, uh, is that the first point about what you're looking for, you know, at a position where you already have, you know, solid players, if not really like good players like the Ravens have, I think. Tight end is something that can be additive for another position of need, like wide receiver, because you're talking about a pass catching position as well, as well as, you know, an offense that relies heavily on running and sort of the run blocking that they're going to be able to bring. So tight ends are always on the field. Exactly. They always are. And they're, you know, more than more often than not with this offense, I feel like there's more than one on the field too. And that's exactly why, you know, with Mark Andrews getting an extension, injuries are inevitable unless your name is, you know, Brett Favre or Eli Manning, like it's it's so rare that someone plays a long time without being hurt. So if you're counting on Mark Andrews to play the first, you know, seven, eight, nine years of his career without having an injury, that's impractical. So having a backup plan is imperative. Having a contingency plan after Nick Boyle, it's a way of getting ahead of the eight ball. And with an offense, with a quarterback that in college loved tight ends, in the NFL loved tight ends, he's one of the best intermediate, middle, and seam throwers in all of football. I think Lamar Jackson is an elite intermediate and, and middle of the field thrower. And, and people kind of criticize that, of course. And I don't want to get too deep into Lamar. That's not what we're doing here, but he's so damn good at it. And people kind of use it like, oh, he only throws over the middle of the field. But it's like, yeah, do you remember that throw he made against the Titans in Baltimore to Mark Andrews in between four defenders with perfect touch timing and trajectory? There was like a 23 yard gain where he just absolutely dropped a drop of water, a splash before between four defenders. He has such great touch over the middle of the field and he's just comfortable working there. So, uh, yeah, there's a stigma associated with it because you're talking about a guy like not looking and like seeing the entire field and like the type of player he is. There are stigmas associated even further with that, that we don't have to get into, but like, that's just sort of what the, the book is that people have on him. Right. So he's great at that. And I think emphasizing your strengths is a, a big, 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 big plus in terms of football, in terms of life. And, uh, you know, of course, you want to work sharpen your weaknesses, but always try to use your trump cards. And for Lamar, it's throwing over the middle of the field and throwing to tight ends and throwing to those bigger bodies and having good timing and and understanding with them. So, yeah, long story short, hopefully the Ravens are adding a a third tight end and one that is a pretty good pass-catching option. It would be a nice addition back into this offense where you're able to basically get J.K. Dobbins and Justin Matavoike out of trading Hayden Hurst give him to the Falcons, and maybe go get someone who's similar a year later. So before we jump into the players, kind of running back the last question that I had from last week regarding the edges, 
Uh, what is one thing about scouting tight ends that you would want the audience to know before we get into these guys? That they've got to block. They have to be able to block. I also think that this is my own personal opinion. There's not a lot of guys, and, th- and there's one that comes to mind, Tremble out of Notre Dame. There's not a lot of really polished inline blockers coming out. Uh, there's there's guys that have a lot of good reps or, or things like that, or you'll see really good effort. Like Kyle Pitts, he has outstanding effort as a blocker, and that's something people don't realize. Oh, he's just a wide receiver. No, like you can tell he really wants to block. He wants to be a tight end when you cut on his film, but he's not technically there. And then you go think about Nick Boyle, you think about Mark Andrews, think about all the tight ends that we've ever, ever seen, Ravens, not Ravens. They grow as blockers so much, so quickly over the first two years of their careers. If you look at Mark Andrews in, in year three as opposed to year one, completely different. I mean, he was not even able to, to handle safeties effectively and cut their angles off on the perimeter. And then now there's that highlight of him against the Colts where he's just riding a guy into the end zone and putting him on their ass. I think that there's a, a tremendous growth there, but you have to recognize they're like a like a linebacker. You know, they are dealing with all aspects of the game. They have to be a, a true skill player. They have to be a technician as a blocker because they are overmatched physically often by those ends. They have to be a skilled route runner because they are not going to be able to run away from guys too often. Uh, it requires a lot of skill and a lot of versatile athletic skill set of power, of finesse, of speed, of all those different things. And you have a lot of mental responsibilities. You're you're moving into blocking assignments. Your responsibilities on a game-to-game basis are very different from that of a wide receiver, very different from that of an offensive lineman. You have to be a jack of all trades. You have to be a real renaissance man as a tight end. And to be a damn good one, a really effective one, to stay on the field in crucial situations and on first down, second down, third down, you got to be able to block and, and do it effectively enough. You have to at least be able to really get in the way and and not just get, you know, put on your face mask consistently. So I think the blocking aspect is important, but also there's a ton of growth in it. Yeah, there's a lot of positions that have been, you know, there's a little been, been a little bit of a maddenification with them and I feel like tight end is the one for offense that I look at Definitely. where people that, you know, like us that grew up just playing Madden are like, oh, well, it's just like a, a receiver that's kind of in it's line. It's a big sometimes. receiver. Yeah, exactly. And like they don't really like think about the nuances and, you know, I'm, you know, one of those people once again, kind of just getting into like scouting these guys seriously. But yeah, I mean, there's like a lot of nuances to it that we don't understand. And that's where you get a conversation of like, oh, we'll just move Miles, Miles Boykin to tight end. He'll just be the next Aaron Waller. And that's the end of it. I feel like it's not that simple at all. No, the it takes time. It takes a lot of growth. Darren Waller was moved to tight end years ago. Uh, a while. The Ravens did that a long time ago. And it took him two years to get on the field and, and dominate and do so. And he is an effective blocker now for sure. But he's also a specimen. He's a He's a rare breed. I think that Kyle Pitts, if you could, if you knew what Darren Waller was and could draft that, it's what Kyle Pitts is in many ways. Uh, Darren Waller is incredible, is what I'm trying to say, I think. I, I almost tripped on my words, but Darren Waller is incredible. Any team would love to have him right now. And those guys don't just, you know, grow on trees. Gronk doesn't grow on a tree. And Gronk, the Ravens had him X'd off, that he was not on their draft board because of medical concerns. He had medical red flags. and they I have it on good authority that their offensive staff wanted Jimmy Graham that year. Wanted Jimmy Graham. Interesting. Uh, would have been a great pick. Would have been a great pick. He was dominant, dominant, dominant early in his career and, and has had some, he's always been a nice red zone weapon. But overall, you know, tight end, tough position, a lot of mental, a lot of physical. And another, the underrated aspect that sucks playing tight end is when you're a good receiving tight end, how do DBs tackle you? 
Do they wrap you up? No, they spear you in your ankles, in your knees, in your legs, and then you're like Gronk and you're like 29 years old, like, wow, this is really starting to catch up fast. I need to take some time off and just go like Hawk CBD and work for like the WWE, then come back in two years and like score touchdowns on the Super Bowl. So, so, so sick. Love, love Gronky boy, but it's tough, man. They take a beating. They have to deal with the big boys inside. They get safeties that run four fours, spearing them in their legs and, you know, ripping at the ball and all kinds of stuff. Take a lot of contact and tough position overall. So jumping into the players with that, uh, categorizing them similar to last week, and then we're going to get into our top four perfect prospects. But uh, the first category is Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts. He is at least the best tight end prospect. And, of course, I was so young when Vernon Davis came into the league. I want to say I was... 07, I think. So, yeah, that's... I was. I think I was in eighth grade, seventh grade, whatever I was. I think eighth grade. I think I was seventh grade, and you were two years ahead of me. Okay, so freshman year of high school then. And Vernon Davis, best tight end prospect I can recall. I was, you know, pretty young, obviously, still. But Davis had a skill set that very few, if any, have ever had. And now Kyle Pitts joins that mold and maybe even a little bit more special, a little bit different, and had the high usage even more so in the SEC. And just the things he does in terms of being able to get off of press and uh, sink his hips in his routes and, and separate and work in all areas of the field, work as a boundary receiver. Really the only guy, the only tight end I can think of at least. I can't even think of someone. You can put him out wide. He can play on the boundary comfortably. There's no, there's not some, oh, you can stick this guy on the boundary, blah, blah, blah. Like, do you, you don't really see Mark Andrews on the boundary, and Mark Andrews is one of the best receiving tight ends in the NFL. He winds up there sometimes, but he doesn't line up out there. Right, and it doesn't really go amazing when he goes out there boundary corners are long and strong now and have great technique and uh you know i I watched i remember watching the baldy breakdown with jamal adams on nfl game pass and they uh they talk about how jamal adams would never let gronk touch him and adams was like oh for not or gronk was oh for nine on targets when lined up in man coverage against adams and adams had like three pass breakups and a pick and he was like, I just never let him touch me. And Jamal Adams is an outstanding athlete. But Pitts, long story short, is going to be able to go out on the boundary and win. Like I said, his effort is outstanding as a run blocker. He's really long and skinny. He doesn't have, you know, good natural uh, center of gravity or anything. So he's going to be a work in progress still. But the effort is there. And like I said, I, th- I think he identifies himself as a tight end. Like, I think he likes being a tight end. And I think tight blocking. ends like being tight ends. I think yes. they like the blocking aspect of it and thinking that they're a little more badass than the diva receivers. Yes, 100%. I agree with that generalization for sure. And I think Kyle Pitts is a part of that. So everyone's like, oh, he's, you know, blah, blah. As a receiver, I see some Plaxico Burris to his game. Good Plaxico. Uh, the contested catch stuff, the high pointing, the body control the ability to, to use length, to use strength, hard to knock off of his line, the red zone threat, all of that stuff. And then somewhere somewhere around there, Darren Waller. And uh, yeah, that I mean, I absolutely love Kyle Pitts. I've loved him for a long time, and I don't have any sort of hot take on him. I think he's at worst going to be, you know, a top seven, eight tight end in this league at absolute worst case scenario. So that's as high as a floor as you can have. And He's the best tight end I've seen in my life, I think. 
yeah, we've discussed at the end of my notes here, I wrote down Dustin Johnson, which is like kind of a silly comparison. And like, I'm watching too much golf, obviously, but like it comes from a place of like serious respect because like he's one of the best players in his sport. And I think it comes from what I wrote down here where it says long languid athlete strides through defenses with ease and seems to run routes to every level of the field. And it just all kind of looks very nonchalant to him. It's three area, deep, intermediate, underneath. It's in the red zone. It's outside of the red zone. Corners, linebackers, safeties. It's all there. Whatever yep. you want, it's there. Four five ish speed, you know, was is what I'd guess. Somewhere in the four four five to four six range, somewhere around there at six six ish, two hundred and forty plus pounds. And I don't know what more you want in a player. Uh probably my number one player in the draft. Wow. Just as far as a, a grade and and someone I'm super confident in and love. And Hey, if there was a player to trade up for, for the Baltimore Ravens, I think him, Jamar Chase, and that's it. If Kyle Pitts is there at 12 and the Ravens do get that almighty first round pick for Orlando Brown and the Ravens want to go ahead and trade one of their first round picks in 2021, this draft and one of and their first round pick in the next draft and go get Kyle Pitts, I'm on board. I think everything the Ravens could possibly want, but the chances... Chances of that happening, I would put it 4%, 3%. Yeah, so I had written down, is there any way he becomes a Raven? I guess we've answered that. And if so, how does he change their offense in 2021? He immediately becomes a trusted target. He immediately becomes a jump ball guy. They don't have that I can throw. Like, Lamar doesn't have a guy where he can throw it where only he can get it, and that guy's going to go consistently get it when it's thrown there. Uh, I think that's what's lacking. Kyle Pitts brings nothing Less, or I guess that is his greatest asset is that you can throw him some mall balls, some sky balls, and that man is going to go get it. He can play at 11 feet above the rim, top of the box, and go get the damn ball and run after the catch. Mark Andrews is opened up immediately. It adds versatility. It adds matchup problems with personnel. Everything that you want for this Ravens offense, I think Kyle Pitts is perfect. And like I said, if you want to trade up, which the Ravens don't, they hate doing. And Eric DaCosta immediately in his press conference that happened this past week was stating, we want more picks again. You know, you always want more picks, you want more picks, you want more picks. So they like those lottery tickets. That's how the Ravens roll. And Kyle Pitts will not be a Raven, sadly. Unfortunately. So don't want to spend too much more time on him. Second category is the vertical threats. And speaking of Maddenification, this is something that kind of comes from Madden. That's one of those archetypes that you can get with tight ends, guys that are able to stretch the field project better as a good receiving option, but they need some work as blockers. Uh, who do you uh, think would fall into this category? And what do you look for uh, in a guy that can come in and catch passes right away? I think Brevin Jordan out of Miami immediately is that, especially the, you know, not a great blocker right now, doesn't really have the size to be a great run blocker. He's going to be the against outside linebackers that are bigger than him. Uh, Jonu Smith is around the same size. I think Jonu's a little more rocked up. I like that comp for him, and I find him as a field stretcher. I think he's okay in pass protection. I think he's okay working backwards and mirroring guys, and uh, he understands where his help is and things like that, but out of the gate, some really poor run blocking reps, especially one-on-one against outside linebackers and, and just taking two flat of angle or not flat of enough of angles against when in zone blocking concepts and things like that. But as a pass catcher, he 
has a lot of change of direction ability. You see it in the open field too. He breaks a lot of tackles. He makes a lot of guys miss. Uh, he can he can cut pretty well. He's very sudden. He can throttle down quickly and efficiently to run curl routes or uh, any kind of stop route and things like that. He, he can run a really wide variety of routes, but you see the speed. You see the run after the catch ability. He's great with the ball in his hands. And I think he is definitely a vertical threat for sure. And I think that he finds himself in a weird role, kind of being like an H that plays in the slot as well. You don't love him in line. Uh, I don't think for the Ravens, you're getting that nice mix between Boyle and Andrews that you might like, where you can maybe take Andrews out of the game and it's Boyle and Jordan and, you know, Boyle can block well and so can Jordan and you can be a little heavier in that sense. No, that's not going to happen. Andrews, I would think, is a better blocker than Jordan, especially at this point. Uh, He's on the smaller end of tight ends and I think he's kind of more of a big slot type of guy. But I had written down effective in pass pro, sudden route runner, has definite long speed. He fights after the catch. He lowers his pads. He stiff arms, changes direction well, threatens vertically quickly. He chews up cushion really well against off coverage. He has a strong feel for soft spots and zone coverage. He adjusts his pace and tempo to find windows and works with his quarterback to stay in the window against FSU uh, in 2020. He throttled down against a hole, starts throwing his hands up real high and, and made sure to slow down. Ends up walking in for a touchdown, and he is, I think he's capable as a route runner of running some more double move and some more pace variation type routes and some longer developing routes and things like that than, than he ran at Miami as fluid hips, good change of direction ability, and a sudden athlete. And that's what I had for Brevin Jordan. Yeah, I think I said a uh, very solid receiver gets open with speed and strength versus kind of the technical twitchy moves. I said in that sense, he's much faster than he is quick, way more deliberate than he is sudden. Nadine more manufactured touches at the next level, but could be productive right away in the right offense. So maybe I misunderstood some of what I was watching, but I think, uh, yeah, that sort of big slot thing that you were talking about there is kind of what stuck with me. I sort of was looking at maybe like a little bit of a Delaney Walker type situation where if he comes in as like the second guy behind a, another type of vertical threat, he could be uh, pretty productive right away. And like you mentioned, the pass blocking, I thought was pretty impressive too. Pass blocking, I, I liked. He knew where his help was and was comfortable kind of shading guys and understanding that his job was to play defense and basketball, just get between his guy and the hoop, the hoop being the quarterback. And he was effective that way, but he just needs a lot of work as a run blocker. Um, I saw the suddenness in, in like slants and posts, just being able to really quickly flatten, whereas a guy like Pat Fryermuth at times, I saw some choppiness to him at the stem, too many steps, where I think Brevin Jordan was able to angle a little bit better. Um, but he is probably the number one guy who is a vertical threat, is not really much of a blocker. And uh, yeah, I think he's the one that fits that to a T as as much as anyone else. Yeah, I think uh, I saw the same thing from Firemuth. So maybe I was maybe I was kind of mixing the two up. I definitely know that uh, Brevin Jordan's going to be able to catch passes right away. I think uh, that's it's probably not uh, not going to be too tough for him to figure that out because, like you mentioned, he has that really physical presence. But uh, he's he's a fun watch, man. I think he could be a little bit in our next category in some ways as well due to some of the stuff that we already mentioned. But any other vertical threats standing out to you? There are guys that are definite vertical threats. Like, I think Fryermuth, I think Long is a vertical threat as well. Um, those two really stick out to me. Uh, Trey McKitty kind of can, can move a bit. But he doesn't really, I don't know, he has like runaway speed with the ball, but he doesn't run away in coverage, against coverage a ton. 
but I definitely think Fryermuth and and Long, but I saw a lot more blocking from both Fryermuth and Long. Long, I was expecting, and we'll just get into Hunter Long, screw it, because um, I, I think he's a, a really well-rounded prospect. I was looking around various sites and things, PFF not super high on him. The Draft Network has him tight end five, 132nd overall, something like that. I don't know what the hell they're looking at. I loved what I saw from Hunter Long. He looks really natural in everything that he does as a blocker, as a receiver, even in his stance, he's, he's bent at his hips, bent at his knees at the same time, like good athlete. And if you look at his face, he looks like he's 12 years old, but the man plays like he's 27. He does look young as shit. I, I don't like looking at his face. It, he looks Benjamin Button-esque. Like he looks very young. But natural, natural blocker with good solid hand placement. And he was so he was one of the more uh prolific targets and receptions and yards-wise tight ends in college football that I can really remember, uh, other than Mark Andrews. And I, I he kind of reminded me of Mark Andrews a good bit. Uh, I think he has a way higher upside as a blocker. I don't think he is nearly as as uh receiver quite-esque as a route runner all the way, but he, uh, you know, I, I saw some impressive things from him against UNC in 2020. He took an absolute devastating shot uh, really early in that game and didn't he have popped a, right back up. I do remember seeing that he did get back up and his next target was an atypical drop. I think he had two drops on like 70 catchable targets last year. So doesn't drop the ball often, but the next one he was had some guys around him and hit right off his chest. He came back and had a really big game. He made multiple big catches in that game. Super late. I was impressed. Uh, being able to rebound from a big shot early and then a drop. And there was a crazy sequence at the end of that game. It was like third and 10 after three, like two offensive penalties and then a defensive penalty and then two incompletions. And Boston College was trailing by eight with like a minute left. And he just runs a nice little post, gets lit up again, catches it, secures the catch and moves the chains. Uh, he, He chips with a purpose, I wrote down, that when his job is to go help out an offensive lineman, and then get out, it's quick. He He's laying into him and getting right into his route. There was no hesitation. There's no lollygagging. There's no... Um, Not a half-ass chip either, though. Like, he definitely put effort into that, too. He moved them inside. He cleanly moves guys inside. Good extension, uh, good length. And I, I don't know. I saw a lot of promise as a blocker. He really seemed to know what his assignments were, was super confident with good feet, good shoulders. He was always nice and square, took good angles. Um, I, he might be a my guy for me. I haven't. I didn't watch enough of him. I, I think I only watched three games. There's not much available on him. I only think I had one game and like a highlight tape that wasn't very long. Mm. I, I only watched three games of him, and I'm, I'm definitely gonna be watching more. I actually, just watched him today, and me too. I uh, was super duper duper impressed. It was really shitty quarterback play for sure. <laughs> uh, really, really, really bad quarterback play. But uh, chips with a purpose. I had sudden route runner who flattens really quickly to create throwing windows in the intermediate. Runs after the catch smoothly and understands how to set up blocks. Try um, to run through guys a lot, which I liked. He did. He does. Uh, definitely embraces contact. And he also see, he sees space, though. He's not just one of those tight ends who only runs to go hit someone. And that's as a tight end in high school, that was me. I was always lowering my shoulder instead of trying to go get yards, which is always stupid. And uh, I, he was double covered a lot. Sneaky, really good in a phone booth is kind of what I wanted to hit on with him. Like he, and it's kind of a similar thing to Andrews where like he'll sometimes angle his body in a way that you don't expect for a guy his size to be able to get his hands up and kind of snare the ball in. He's really impressive kind of in the catching traffic situation. Contested catch situations, right. Um, yeah, he definitely, definitely, definitely 
natural hands catcher, soft. The ball was two hands, like suction cupped right in. Big tight. He's like a big tight end. He's a and the he's a natural catching tight end where the ball comes in and it looks big, really big shoulder pads, you know. Right, right. And the ball, when he catches it, it just kind of like is glued to his body. Like he engulfs it a little bit. I had that for Pat Fryermuth. That guy, when the ball is thrown to him, it is like glued to his body immediately. Like the ball goes nowhere, but he's different. Uh, the last couple of things I had was that he gets bracketed and double covered, especially on third downs. Teams really respected his ability and he would still kind of sneak out of them. They would always go somewhere else, which is smart when a guy's double covered, but uh, he would sneak through it and a lot of production. So I think he checks a lot of boxes and I think he is a really nice marriage of what the Ravens would want in someone who can block, who is a vertical threat, is a smooth route runner and does it all, man. Uh, I could see him working in really any offense. And I don't. I struggle to find a good comp for him, but very impressed with Hunter Long. Uh, very impressed with Hunter Long. Yeah. So I guess we can jump then because it sounds like you're kind of bridging two of uh two of these categories here, which is fine. That's going to happen in some cases. But uh, our last category was utility boys, and these are just the guys that are kind of the utility Swiss Army knife type guys that have that blocking ability and the receiving. I think it's kind of tough to find guys that are actual true hybrids coming into the league. So this is probably going to tend more towards blocking. But who did you see in this category? Uh, definitely Tremble out of Notre Dame. Tremble, is, he was stuck behind some guys. He was stuck behind Cole Komet. Uh, Notre Dame doesn't throw the ball a ton. They run a super pro-style offense under center stuff mainly. And Ian Book, a really conservative quarterback within that offense over the last couple of years. But I think Tremble is kind of like that Kyle Juszczyk type for you. And he has maybe a little more long, long speed than a guy like Juszczyk. But overall... Great hand placement. I think he's one of the better blocker blocking tight ends I've seen uh, coming out of college. He is going to be that F tight end, uh, a flex guy that served in an offense where he's going to just play with his hand in the dirt. I don't see him being a slot guy. I don't see him being uh, a separation type guy, but um, he's going to have some long speed. I think, like I said, more than you should. He, he, I wrote that he can run away from second level defenders. He's not going to run away from corners or anything like that much, but uh, consistent hands, nice, nice hands catcher. I don't think he's a huge, like, you know, game changing receiver or anything like that, but overall you can put him in motion. You can have him as a fullback. You can put him in line. And, uh, I think he's going to have a nice career in the NFL. Long story short. Definitely. I didn't even really get to watch too much of him. I'll have to go back and check him out. But, uh, in this category, I might say like a Pat Fryermuth, but he does feel like a little bit more of a receiver to me. Uh, but I did like what I saw from him. A uh, guy who definitely would be in the middle was Kylan Granson from SMU. Did you watch him at all? Yeah, I watched Granson. He is listed. I think he's only 6'2". Definitely a smaller guy. but 6'3", I think, but that was from SMU's website, so probably 6'2". Yeah, I, th- I think I've seen 6'2 a few places, but he transferred from Rice. Uh, he's going to be another H-back guy, but he can play in the slot. Oh, for sure. He played a lot there from what I saw. Uh, I, like the blocking, it wasn't elite to me, and I don't think his size would necessarily allow it to be, uh, is what I wrote down. But he was willing, which I liked. And like there were a couple plays where he wound up springing really key blocks just by kind of staying with it. And I think that effort the is effort a big was deal. there for sure. Yeah. And like he kind of, like I tweeted out a clip, I think the only one that I did with him like springing Shane Bichel for a first down run, which I thought was pretty sweet. So the effort's there. I think he's like a smooth runner. He's, uh, Got a, a decent size and frame for kind of that backup type role that we're talking about. Definitely a little bit more of an H, uh, but good hands catcher, kind of a fluid athlete. I was I was surprised by it. Mean stiff arm, a lot yeah. of stiff arms. Yeah, and like he, you know, he ran himself open. I saw Walter Football had written down like there's some Mark Andrews in his game, which I sort of agree with a little bit. Just sort of uh, that natural kind of fluid uh, pass catcher and works out of the slot. Transitions from catching the ball to running, like yards after the catch wise, quickly, efficiently, gets going. 
Uh, has some speed for sure, but like you said, it doesn't have the size to play in a really tight, like a really to me, he was like a working role. man's Brevin Jordan. Yeah, he's not quite the athlete, but he's smooth. He's really, really smooth. Everything looked pretty easy. Uh, you know, wasn't playing against huge competition, but you don't hold that against him. Just, just a little undersized, but. I could see him going to New England and being a really nice pass-catching weapon that can block and, and go to do some different things in the slot and uh, catch the ball pretty fearlessly over the middle of the field. So I think definite NFL player, a uh, guy that deserves to be drafted, deserves to be drafted, you know, fifth, sixth round, maybe fourth round, and will make plays. I don't see him having a huge impact as a rookie uh, early, but by the end of his rookie contract, I could see him coming into his own and, and being that nice jack-of-all-trades. Another guy, really last guy, I didn't get a chance to dig super deep into these dudes. I think I watched eight overall, but one of them that I did, you know, get, you know, somewhat intrigued by when watching was Trey McKitty. Uh, was at FSU for the majority of his career, wound up at Georgia as a senior. I think he only caught six balls there, but he was at the senior bowl, so I'm sure you're relatively familiar with him. Uh, I wrote down that at his size, he shouldn't not only have the speed he possesses, but has some quick, quick twitch and suddenness that sometimes shows getting out of his breaks. Wrote down appears to be more of that H move tight end type, fast and physical with the ball in his hands. Also makes guys miss more than you would expect. Uh, blocking could definitely use some work, uh, but he did get lined up all over the place. He was in the backfield a little bit at FSU at least, and uh, obviously wasn't productive as a senior, like I mentioned. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I like the traits of what I saw from Trey McKitty, but I'm sure you would maybe know a little bit more than I would. He, him, and Mac Jones. If whoever drafts Mac Jones, draft Trey McKitty. They are like they have a little Lamar Mark Andrews thing where when Mac Jones didn't really know what guys were doing, he knew what Trey McKitty was doing, and they were on the same page. Jones put some money balls, and Trey McKitty had some one-handed catches and all kinds of stuff. He was George's move tight end, uh, good ath- good athlete, okay blocker, like really safe tight end, just a really safe, consistent tight end. I definitely saw the twitchiness a little bit. Uh, I-, I put that he was an adequate blocker as much as you need him to be, and he's not doesn't really have the size to ever be uh, still a little bit undersized guy. He kind of kind of has a little David Joku, but less of an athlete. Like, he's a good athlete. Joku's a great athlete to his game. Um, but, yeah, I think he, you know, I, in terms of Ravens-wise, like, Ed Dixon's role was kind of different, a lot more blocking, while Pitta was the receiving guy. But, like, he is the Robin. He is a good second tight end to me that can go catch passes and do things like that. Like, Anthony Ferkser comes to mind a little bit, too. Um, can can block a bit, can go run some routes, can get some yards after the catch, confident over the middle of the field, good hands. So uh, another draftable tight end. I like Trey McKitty a lot. Great performance of the senior bowl for sure. Got me exercised. Who else you got? Uh, then, I mean, we'll get into Pat Fryermuth. I see him and Hunter Long. It's just really traditional kind of guys. Maybe Long being a little bit more of a re- receiver type, but Fryermuth is like, I don't know. I, the first thing that stuck out to me is I put that he's a moose in the open field. Like <laughs> He looks big as shit. He looks huge. He will barrel right through guys, but he's got speed. He has like straight line speed and will run away from defenses. Uh, tw- I watched a couple games of 2019 and I was really underwhelmed with his blocking and was kind of like, dang, he's rated really high and, and his blocking is talked about well. Then you cut on 20, you can immediately see that he's leaner. He looks a bit more muscular. He looked more confident in his blocking. Uh, I would say he looked best that way in 20 and like I didn't I didn't know what the hell I was watching as like with the receiving game and then I went and watched him with Trace and it's like oh there it is yeah 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 yeah. they had very incompetent uh, quarterback play Penn State for the last couple years but um, he kind of is a patient blocker in the run game 
uh, especially a lot of zone stuff at Penn State. And he would let a defender kind of commit and and kind of start to get an angle. And then he has good length and he would just wash them into the, into the trash and wash them out. Um, not a ton of dominant run blocking reps, which I was a little disappointed by because he is a huge dude, but I think he has those in him. I think you can grow him into, I think you can coach him and, and he'll grow into a really nice blocker. Um, he has a skip step release. It's it's really his only like release variation, but it works really well because he doesn't chew up cushion really quickly, but he varies his pace really well. He comes off the line super slow sometimes and then is going as fast as he can, 100 miles an hour, really quickly. So he knows how to vary pace to get separation. Uh, and I, I put that his releases are, are amateur at this point other than that, and he has a lot of work to do in the release game. But contact means nothing to him as a receiver. Absolutely nothing. Gets drilled in his back. Uh, I had that he, against Indiana, he caught a tipped pass that got like 12 yards downfield. Gets drummed, dead, a helmet and shoulder pad into the middle of his back. It looked like it was below where the pads would even be. And just caught the ball right into his frame. Contact means nothing to him. And the ball, he is a vacuum. The ball gets thrown to him and it's gone. It's his amazing, 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 consistent, like big bodied pass catcher over the middle of the field. You can chuck him the ball in contested catch situations and uh, feel confident there. Just tight situations. And uh, I also had that he tracked the ball downfield really well. I thought he was a better vertical receiver than I expected uh, for sure. And always was like tracking the ball like an outfielder almost and, and looked to be, you know, taking a proper route once the ball was in the air and things like that. So uh, you know, not a great route runner. I, I don't, I don't think the big ass guy, like fucking big boy, people call him baby Gronk, baby Gronk made a lot of sense, but kind of choppy steps into like posts and into out routes and things like that. He would take too many steps at times. And, uh, so that, I think there might be some tightness there with his hips or with, his yeah, I wrote feet. down, I wrote down not especially quick and lower body, somewhat stiff on cuts from what I saw. seems like much more of a straight line vertical threat rather than a technician. And I haven't watched a lot of Kyle Rudolph recently, but I feel like that's kind of a similar player. I said like, and this is Ravens bias, obviously, obviously, but like Max Williams is kind of what I saw. And like, that was the comparison for Max Williams was Kyle Rudolph. So that I think we're on the same wavelength. A little bit. That makes some sense. Um, but I think overall, I like Pat Fryermuth a lot. I think he's another guy who fits in that perfect marriage of being between Mark Andrews and Nick Boyle. He is a better pass catching receiver, better receiver, better vertical threat than Nick Boyle and a uh, better blocker than Mark Andrews and has big, big, big time size. So uh, saw a huge improvement from 19 to 20. And I, I kind of put down Heath Miller too. He reminded me of, uh, but I think he can run away. Like, I don't know. He, he, I think Pat Fryermuth is Pat Fryermuth. I think he's a little, I don't think there's a good comparison for him. Absolutely. All the way. Anyone else you got? Um, that really, I mean, Kenny Yeboah's fast and, Decent receiver, like, okay option to be, uh, you know, I, I think he fits kind of better into like a West Coast offense or a really heavy 11 personnel offense, and he's playing in the slot a ton. Uh, he's a move guy and great in the red zone. Uh, I had that he was an acceptable blocker and sustained, sustained some single blocks and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I thought he was fast and overall good athlete. And, I mean, not a ton in this tight end class after like there's a nice solid first five, six guys. Uh, Noah Gray out of Duke was also at the senior bowl can make some really spectacular catches, but he just gets freaking bulldozed 
and he's not fast enough or sudden enough to, I don't think to separate in the NFL, but he can go catch some passes. And, you know, I, I think he'll be like a tight end two, tight end three uh, kind of guy drafted super late, but had one of the most spectacular catches I've ever seen in person with like an OBJ down by the goal line, at the senior bowl. And he did make a couple of those on film, but uh, yeah, like a special teams guy that, you know, sticks around and maybe can be a comfortable tight end three. Cool, man. So is that all the players that we have? That's everybody that I looked at, and I, I didn't really look at Nick Eubanks out of Michigan. I'm sure there's a couple other guys I should probably look at, but that did it. Uh, Hunter Long I like a lot, and Fryermuth I like a lot. Like Hunter Long I think is going to be a my guy for me, like I said. Okay, so let's get into it then. The perfect prospects for the Ravens, the four guys that we are going to be putting out there to be voted on. If you haven't already, check out at Podcast Beatdown where we already put out the first uh, poll for Edge, which is getting some good numbers on there. Going to be doing that for tight ends here with some of the guys that we've already mentioned. So A, B, C, and D, who are we going to be putting down here? I think obviously Pitts we do not need to include. So I I think this is a pretty easy one. I think we roll through Fryermuth, who I can understand he has has the prototypical size and stuff, but I might might have Hunter Long higher than him, and I might regret saying that. But Fryermuth is... Like I said, I love him in the open field. I love his ability to just be an absolute moose as a tight end. Uh, then let's go Brevin Jordan, Tremble, and Long. I think those are the pretty pretty stock guys after Pitts, and I, I like that. They're pretty stonk. Pretty stonk. Pretty stonk. And, yeah, so Brevin Jordan. you know What is, he, what is Tremble's first name? Uh, Tommy. Tommy? How do you spell that? Tommy. I don't know why I thought that you it was like T-A-M-I for some reason. Oh, oh no, Tommy, Thomas, Tommy. And it's Tremble, right? Like Tremble, T-O. Tremble. Tremble, like, okay. You're making me quiver. I'm trembling. Tremble. So we got Pat Fryermuth at A, Brevin Jordan at B, Hunter Long at C, and Tommy Tremble. <laughs> kind of sounds like a prohibitionary gangster. He does. He has a sick name. Yeah, Plus see, he Tommy Tremble. And he played at Notre Dame, which adds to that. Oh, yeah, like. of course. Yeah. So, uh, oh, it was Tommy Tremble. Down the 20. Down 15, the... 10, 5. Touchdown, Tremble. Yeah, by war bonds. Uh, okay, so we got those four, those four guys. Kyle Pitts not included. This is going to be uh, going to be an interesting one. I feel like Brevin Jordan's going to run away with that top spot. A lot of people on Ravens Twitter are already pretty hyped about him, but I am excited to see people jumping into these other three. Yeah, uh, for sure. He, you know, Brevin Jordan just... Brevin Jordan probably gives you the most confident, like, slot receiver more so of that group. And then I would think Long is there as the second, you know, very much a receiver guy. But I think, like I said, he has a nice nice ceiling and a nice floor as a blocker. Fryermuth, a bigger, bigger, bigger boy, but engulfs the ball over the middle of the field. Like, I, I don't think I properly put into words how, how well he's just, t- like, he is like a, a planet that has its own gravitational pull when the football is near him and sucks the ball in. But I didn't see him drop anything. I didn't look at his drop numbers, I don't think, but I, I would be pretty befuddled to see them be anything significant. Uh, throwing to him over the middle of the field is outstanding, and I think him and Mark Andrews would be a good pair in that sense. So then you get uh, Tremble, who's going to be that Kyle Juszczyk type for you. Be a little bit bigger, a little bit faster. Okay. Well, that's an intriguing list, but I'm excited to shoot that out next week or when you're going to be listening to this. It's going to be releasing on at Podcast Beatdown uh, with the release of the episode a couple hours after probably. So be sure to go and vote on that there on Twitter. Where can they find you, bud? At 
Ravens for Dummies. That is the number four. And we'll be pumping out all this draft content. I'm taking a little break from the articles of the Purple Prospect portfolio. As I've been, it takes a lot of time to do one guy. And as we've started this big board, I've just been trying to watch, 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 take some quick notes and a uh, little bit less videos. But I'll be getting back into it in uh, probably a couple weeks, like two, three weeks. I think I'll really be diving back into the articles and the video content a little bit more after the free agency craze ends and, and all that stuff goes on as well. But they'll be coming back soon. Well, with that, we got a free agency pod to record that we're going to be doing in a second here, but uh, you already heard that if you're listening to this. Uh, in the meantime, uh, go ahead and check me out on Twitter at Jake Luke. That is L-O-U-Q-E. Again, check out the podcast account at Podcast Beatdown, and check us out on Instagram at Baltimore underscore Beatdown, where we're going to be tweeting out the graphic to go ahead and vote on these guys. So uh, go ahead and do that. We're having a lot of fun with it. The Edge one was really fun. It's still garnering some votes and uh, got some some tight races going on between some of those guys. So hopefully the same thing is going to be happening here. But in the meantime, if you liked what you heard, go ahead and subscribe to the show. If you have not already, leave us a five-star rating and a review and uh, follow us on the socials that I already mentioned. But uh, until next time, we will talk to you guys later. See ya. Arrivederci. <laughs>